Welcome to this Touch podcast activity, which has been recorded for Touch Ophthalmology. In this podcast, Dr. John Hovenessian, a board-certified ophthalmologist and internationally recognised leader in the fields of corneal, cataract, refractive and laser surgery, provides insights on advances in intraocular lenses and power calculations for refractive cataract surgery. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Alcon Vision LLC and is jointly provided by USF Health and Touch IME. Hi, I'm John Hovanesian. I'm a cornea specialist and cataract surgeon in Southern California. I work at Harvard Eye Associates, a group of about 20 doctors, uh, and I'm uh, academically affiliated with the UCLA Stein Eye Institute. How is lens power best determined before cataract surgery? Prior to every patient's cataract surgery, of course, we perform biometry, which includes a measurement of the front of the eye, the keratometry, as well as anterior chamber depth, uh, some dimensions of the lens itself, and the axial length of the eye. Uh, And increasingly, newer instruments are beginning to uh, measure other uh, parameters of the ocular shape so that we can put those into more advanced formulas for more accurate biometry and more accurate uh, lens power calculation predictions. What methods do you use to obtain true corneal power after refractive surgery? Refractive surgery represents a particular challenge for us when we're trying to plan cataract surgery. And the reason, of course, is that the cornea is altered. And this has a number of implications for us. First, uh, an altered surface may have been altered many, many years before, and remodeling of the cornea Uh, can occur and that remodeling can change its shape and in most cases causes aberrations in the shape of the eye, Uh, meaning that we don't have uh, just the native shape of the cornea superimposed with a new uh, spherocylindrical lens that's been uh, carved away from it with the eczema laser. Instead, we have something more complex than that. And that, of course, happens because of epithelial remodeling uh, as well as a remodeling of the corneal stroma itself. So it's important to have um, an accurate measure of the corneal surface. And one of the important ways we achieve that is by managing ocular surface uh, uh, health and making sure that we don't have a significant dry eye problem. Um, The other method of doing this is by using a a high quality um, biometer. And we now have a variety of different instruments in the US that that serve this need and beyond outside the US, essentially the same instruments are available and they provide really uh, accurate measurements of the cornea. Uh, And finally, topography is a very helpful adjunct to measure the surface of the eye and qualitatively and quantitatively compare what we get in our biometry reading to what we see from either a placido disc or shine fluke uh, topography system that gives us more complete um, information in two dimensions of uh, of the surface of the cornea. How do you decide which intraocular lens formula to use? In the old days, we had just a couple of different formulas that were derived to um, provide us our lens power calculation. And now we have a real proliferation of systems. Um, And uh, what's also happened during this evolution of uh, formulas is that there's been an evolution of calculators. We have a number of online calculators like that offered by the ASCRS, which are free. Uh, and can be used by anybody to input biometry information. And they provide the answer from a variety of different formulas. And a lot of surgeons like to use that tool because it gives them all of those uh, different sources of information and they kind of compare, see what the 
uh, convergences of, of ideas between the formulas. And in many cases, they'll simply average if they have a challenging eye. Um, we also have a variety of calculators that are offered by major instrument manufacturers. Uh, Zeiss uh, started this. Alcon has produced an excellent calculator. And uh, finally, Bausch Lomb has entered the you know with their own uh, intelligence platform that is uh, uh, is also going to help surgeons to calculate lens powers. These also offer many of the modern formulas plus additional artificial intelligence based uh, formulas that can be added to the um, you know to the list of tools we use depending on the patient we're going to uh, be treating. So, for example, for post refractive eyes, it's very helpful to consider an advanced formula like the Barrett. True K, which really has become my go-to formula for post-refractive eyes. Uh, the Kane formula is also very popular by many surgeons. Uh, and the Hill RBF for unusual eyes, particularly long eyes, is, uh, is really quite accurate, stunningly accurate in many cases. Um, and uh, of course, there are the artificial intelligence-based formulas that are now starting to come along. And of course, these will only get better as time passes, as we learn what we need to be measuring in the eye, and of course, as our capability to measure different parts of the eye increases over time. What recent advances have changed practice for intraocular lens calculations in challenging eyes? A good way to think about how to get your IOL uh, predictions to be more accurate is to think about what happens when we have a failure to achieve accuracy. So if we look at patients who have undergone refractive enhancements, particularly uh, with the premium lens implants, we see a couple of really common patterns occur. Um, and of course, uh, the, the end result, what leads to the need for the enhancement is the uh, refractive miss. Uh, probably the most common reason we see this uh, is because we have untreated or undertreated ocular surface disease. Bill Trattler did a nice study, the FACO study that showed about 70%, almost 70% of patients who uh, come for cataract surgery have some meaningful degree of dry eye. And about two-thirds of those patients actually don't have symptoms. Um, so this really has opened our eyes to a problem we have. Because when you have ocular surface disease, uh, it causes rippling or irregularity in the surface of the cornea, which translates into refractive error when we measure the surface of the cornea. And if you have a one-diopter error in measuring the ocular surface power, you're going to have a one diopter error in your final IOL outcome. So we need to be very sensitive and treat very aggressively the ocular surface. Um, thankfully, we have a number of good tools on this. We've published uh, in my group some studies uh, showing that a variety of products like cyclosporin, lefitograst, uh, and other products can meaningfully improve the ocular surface. You don't need to wait several months for those drugs to work to improve the surface. You really need to wait just a couple of weeks to get meaningful improvement. Um, and, and of course, we have a number of new products on the market just um, in, in the past 12 months that have meaningfully changed things. Um, Bausch Alom has released a, a, a perfluorocarbon compound that has uh, been much anticipated in the U.S., uh, which is uh, being released as a drug in the U.S. and really works very well to smooth the ocular surface. Um, another cyclosporin formulation is being released by AeroHealth that is uh, uh, really going to give us a higher concentration uh, of cyclosporin, as well as a advanced delivery vehicle, because the vehicle for that uh, cyclosporin is the same vehicle uh, that makes up the Bausch & Lohm uh, product uh, known as Mybo. Um, and then finally, we have an entirely new approach with a product from uh, Tarsus, which is designed to, to treat Demodex. 
And while Demodex has had sort of a questionable role in the uh, in treatment of blepharitis, what we have seen from the FDA studies and prior studies from Tarsus is that uh, this new product, which is known as XDMV, is uh, very, very uh, successful in treating the ocular surface as measured by corneal staining and corneal irregularity, not just treating symptoms of patients. So in other words, we have a variety of new tools as well as some very effective older tools that can rehabilitate the ocular surface. For my colleagues, I think the most important concept that we need to reinforce though is that look for ocular surface disease among your patients who come for cataract surgery, whether they have symptoms or not, don't view it as something that you can ignore uh, just because the patient is asymptomatic. Because if you want an accurate refractive outcome, you absolutely have to care about ocular surface disease. How do you approach a patient that has irregular corneal astigmatism after surgery? Patients who have irregular corneal astigmatism after cataract surgery represent a real challenge. Um, and of course, uh, we talk about ocular surface disease, and it indeed is the biggest cause of uh, irregular corneas after surgery. Remember, of course, that we're doing something traumatic. We're, uh, we're, we're treating the eye with surgery, and we're treating with medications postoperatively. Uh, those are toxic to the ocular surface with their preservatives in many cases. Uh, and it's going to take a patient a long time for that to completely recover, certainly even beyond the time that they're taking medication. And yet the challenge is these patients judge their vision based upon how they see within the first few weeks after surgery. So first, identifying the cause of irregular corneal astigmatism is the way you treat it. In the case of ocular surface disease, give it time. In the case of other pathology, boy, the best way to treat uh, Corneal, irregular corneal astigmatism is never to have it by the time the patient gets to surgery. And so really the way to manage the post-op patient is to manage the pre-op patient. A careful corneal exam is going to reveal problems that are pretty common, like epithelial basement membrane dystrophy. Um, we've already talked about dry eye, like Salzman's nodular degeneration, uh, like pterygium that is going to really affect the ocular surface. It's best to treat those conditions prior to the patient ever having their biometry and after the condition is treated, if it's a surgical treatment like removal of the Salzman's nodule, uh, it's important to give the patient a couple of months for the corneal epithelium to remodel and for the patient to have a stable ocular surface before you proceed with biometry before surgery. Um, in terms of treating corneal astigmatism after surgery, um, of course, regular astigmatism can easily be treated by glasses. And even irregular astigmatism in many cases benefits from uh, spectacle correction. Um, but if you have to treat it after surgery, uh, that's unfortunate because uh, in most cases it, it could have been identified preoperatively. Um, if you have to treat it, uh, we, you would essentially use the same tools you uh, would have used before surgery that I've already mentioned. How do you think recent approvals in advanced technology intraocular lenses will improve patient outcomes? Over the past 20 years of advanced technology lens implants that we've had, it's just been so exciting to see how things have gotten better and better. And as we look forward, we're going to continue to see advances that are going to change the world for our patients and for us as surgeons. Um, so what's happening currently with multifocal lenses is that we're seeing new designs from all the major manufacturers that reduce dysphotopsias and increase a range of vision. And I think uh, we all are familiar with the concept that there's no free lunch, uh, that anytime you split light, there is going to be some side effect, some downside. But as we understand what works and doesn't, uh, these brilliant engineers at these companies are coming up with products that make us look really good as surgeons uh, in the eyes of our patients. 
What's also exciting is uh, really new technology. So the light adjustable lens from RX Sight has changed things for us, particularly for eyes where we just don't have a way to know exactly what the biometry uh, power of the eye is. We don't have to know anymore. We just have to get close. And if we can get close within a couple of diopters, we can take some of the hardest to please patients and make them among the happiest patients we have. We also have the uh, Arik, uh, the uh, Bausch & Lomb Aptera small aperture lens implant, which for patients with very irregular corneas, uh, where traditional optics, uh, spherocylindrical optics cannot work well, uh, we have a small aperture solution that can in many cases increase best corrected visual acuity. And finally, on the horizon, we have accommodating lenses that will give the eye, sort of restore the natural youthful range of vision that we all experienced um, when we had hair or had less gray hair. Uh, those technologies really are uh, promising because they don't necessarily compromise quality of vision and they allow us to, uh, to have a, a range of vision that's seamless without steps as you get with a multifocal or trifocal lens. So the future looks really bright for these technologies. We have to do our part as surgeons to, uh, to manage the eye and measure the eye properly, and yet the technologies become more and more forgiving. What new data on intraocular lens technologies were presented at the American Academy of Ophthalmology 2023 annual meeting? The science of advanced technology IOLs just continues to move forward. And uh, the 2023 American Academy of Ophthalmology meeting was uh, a place where we learned about some new lenses on the horizon. Uh, uh, in the United States, all of the major manufacturers have new lenses that are being brought to market uh, that reduce um, higher order aberrations for patients and, uh, and dysphotopsia side effects and improve on range of vision. And so um, I would also uh, say that it's exciting to see what's happening in the calculators. So all of the major lens implant companies have a, um, uh, a calculator system that can allow surgeons online to do their lens planning. And so how does this differ from um, other systems that we've had in the past? Well, very importantly, it differs because uh, we can take information directly from a biometer without a human having to put it into a calculator as we've had to do with the online calculators like that from ASCRS. Here, it's automatically ingested in the system. So there's no chance for human transcription error. Uh, and then we can do the planning for the lens uh, on a screen where we, the surgeon can do the calculation. Instantly, the information is then available to the staff. Again, no transcription errors are possible. That information can then be read in the uh, facility where the lens is ordered, like the ambulatory surgery center. And so we not only have greater accuracy, avoiding the, um, the possibility of human transcription errors causing mistakes, but we have instantaneous transfer of information. So in my center, this has led to a lot fewer lenses that are being ordered last minute and uh, a lot of benefits to us just in terms of feeling confident that we're using the very latest formulas for our patients with information that we know can be absolutely relied on. So um, at the American Academy of Ophthalmology, Bausch & Lohm announced the release of their Itelligence platform, which joins Zeiss Veracity and the Alcon Smart Cataract Planner as being uh, uh, offerings that surgeons can now use to help them to more accurately and uh, more confidently select their lens powers for cataract surgery. How is artificial intelligence set to change clinical practice and selection of intraocular lenses for individual patients? As we look to the future of lens planning, uh, things are really going to get very exciting. Uh, and that's 
partly because of the role of artificial intelligence, as well as, well as other measurement tools. Um, new biometers are coming to the uh, market. Um, Heidelberg recently released one. Um, Bachelom released one that they announced at the American Academy meeting, and others are coming that will measure the eye in different ways uh, and measure more surfaces, more dimensions of the eye that may have relevance to our, uh, our lens calculations. This information can then be fed into the calculators that use artificial intelligence that determine which variables are making the biggest uh, difference for our final IOL outcome. And so uh, what's amazing about these formulas uh, using AI is that they are iterative. And so as they determine how to use the variables that we give them, they get better and better. Um, of course, those formulas are only as good as the information we give. So ocular surface disease, again, becomes absolutely critical to manage because there's not a biometer on the market that, that cannot be fooled by a, 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 you know, a rough ocular surface that has corneal staining and a, a, a brief tear breakup time. So we have to do our job as clinicians to get the, the technology to work well, but the technology is increasing in its ability to serve us and our patients to get better results. Thank you for listening to this Touch podcast. Additional content on related topics can be found on Touch Ophthalmology. Mm-hmm.